Hello, and welcome back to Cruise Compete's Cruise Podcast, where we share tips, ideas, and inspiration to help make your next cruise a fantastic experience. I'm your host, Bob Levenstein. My guest is Dr. Donna White, a former U.S. Navy flight surgeon who has been on 85 Princess Cruises. Donna was on a world cruise on board the Pacific Princess when the coronavirus epidemic broke out. Like most ships in the fleet, Donna's ship remained virus-free, and she came home with a great story to tell about her adventures at sea, as well as a trip home aboard a Gulfstream G4 private jet. We'll be back with Donna right after this. CruiseCompete.com is a simple concept. We give you the tools to find the perfect cruise and request quotes. Independent travel agents can then see your requests, and they respond with the best custom cruise offers they can, all competing to offer you the best deal. You compare these offers in one convenient place, along with consumer ratings and reviews of the agencies. As only the best agents survive in this competitive environment, you'll have some great options to choose from. You then remain anonymous unless or until you decide to contact an agent by phone or by email to ask questions or to book. Find out why more than a million cruisers are members of our free, unique service and start saving both time and a significant amount of money on your cruise vacation via Cruise Compete today. Welcome back. I am here with my guest, Donna White, who is one of my absolute favorite customers on Cruise Compete and a very experienced cruiser. Uh, we will be, again, chatting about her seven-week odyssey on the Pacific Princess. Donna, welcome to the program. Oh, hi, Bob. It's nice to chat with you again. Always great to hear from you. So, Donna, you have a long experience at, amount of experience at sea. Uh, so you, were, you spent some time in the Navy, is that correct? Yes, uh, almost seven years, uh... I'm a doctor, and I was in a scholarship program where they paid for my medical school, and then I owed them time in the service. So what, do uh, you spend a lot of time serving on various ships? Uh, no, actually, I ended up becoming a flight surgeon, and uh, in training there, we spent one day out at sea on the USS Lexington, the last wood-decked carrier in the Navy. And that was pretty much it. <laughs> so as a flight surgeon, what um, what what was your, your main task? Well, uh, basically to ensure the health of the pilots and naval flight officers and airmen. And, uh, you know, I actually took part in uh, three aircraft mishap investigations, so... When things don't go right, we get to start trying to figure out what went wrong. Wow, that sounds fascinating. I guess uh, we could probably use your help figuring out what's going wrong right now in the world. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the problem would be coming up with an answer. Uh, I hear you. Um, so you've been on many, many cruises. you have an idea of how many total? Well, it must be about, what, I think, 86 now. 
And have most of those been on Princess, or do you... Uh... Uh, they have all been on Princess. Wow. So you must be one of their favorite customers, too, I would think. Well, I'm sure the ones that, you know, are always at the head of the queue as far as most traveled passenger are maybe even more favorite. But uh, I can tell you, my husband, for sure, is, you know, very high energy. And, yeah, there's hardly, I don't think, anybody on the ship who doesn't know who he is. <laughs> so he's the one that every, that uh, everybody's face lights up when they see him, huh? Oh, absolutely, whether it's passenger or crew. Eh, maybe he goes too far for some of the passengers, but the crew love him. <laughs> oh, those are the folks that always make, the cru- make cruises uh, more enjoyable. So, uh, well, I think my, so. <laughs> yeah, well, give my uh, give my greetings and and thanks to him. So, you selected a cruise on the Pacific Princess. Now, the Pacific Princess is, is one of the smaller ships in the fleet. Is that correct? Yes, it is the smallest ship in the fleet. Mm-hmm. So, about what six to eight hundred passengers? I think it's six hundred and eighty is what they listed as now. Mm-hmm. Okay, so that would compare to. You know, the Grand Princess might be, what, 4,000 passengers? somewhere. Oh, God, I forget. I know the island is like 2,200, which is supposed to do the World Cruise next year. Mm-hmm. So, so uh, what made it, what in particular made you select uh, the Pacific Princess uh, for this, this sailing? Well, we had sailed on her before, and we, we knew, we love, we love the Pacific Princess. And we knew that as of now, this was going to be the very last world cruise that uh, Princess did uh, aboard the Pacific Princess, and we wanted to be there. Well, that's interesting. More demand, I guess, for uh, for world cruises, huh? They needed uh, space for more passengers. Well, I don't know about that, and especially not now. <laughs> Certainly not now. The world has changed quite a bit. Absolutely. Uh, so what were some of so uh you were started in uh, in Melbourne is that correct? No, no sir. Uh we actually embarked in Fort Lauderdale on January 5th. Mm-hmm. And we had booked uh the Panama Canal cruise separately just uh because you know the way the onboard credits work and so forth and it was a less expensive cruise. Uh, so we did the 15 days in one cabin, and then when we got to L.A., we changed cabins for the what was supposed to be the 96-day world cruise from L.A. to Fort Lauderdale. Got it. So um, that first uh, that first 15-day uh, segment went fairly smoothly, I imagine. What uh, what type of cabin did you book? Uh, that one I booked an inside and got a. Uh, complimentary upgrade to uh, an outside cabin and uh, mm-hmm. you know we were fine with that we've we've sailed in virtually every kind of cabin except probably the highest class suite and we get into virtually any cabin on a princess ship when we embark and we kind of go ah home again <laughs> So on the uh, on the, that first leg through the Panama Canal, where were uh, where were your port stops, and did you uh, see and do anything interesting along the way? I mean, it was you know the usual Caribbean, Costa Rica, 
some Mexican port calls. We've we've done that before, mm-hmm. and I don't know if we even got off it, did we, Rich? You know, not too much. We didn't do much, uh, you know, on the Panama Canal segment. Mm-hmm. Kind of went out and took some pictures going through the canal. And was that your first yeah. uh, transit of the canal? Oh no, no, we've we've been through several times before, so mm-hmm. uh, we were we were happy. We were on the ship. Yeah, I, I uh, was really fascinated by the canal and just the amount of stuff that goes through every day. Oh, amazing! Incredible. You know, we you know seeing like we had a, I think it was a car carrier. You know, I mean, and just the how vast they are <laughs> in size. It's uh, the thing that really got me was well, a couple of them, but the. Um, one was just for the the, the Neo Panamax ships can carry fourteen thousand cargo containers, and it's just really hard to put that in perspective. And I there's a there's a train that runs uh, along the canal, and I was just counting the cargo tr- uh, carriers on that one. It's a fairly long train. It's got the cargo carrier stacked double. And in total, there were still only, you know, 34, 35 containers. And that's a lot of stuff. But compare that to 14,000 on a ship, it's just... I can't, I can't imagine, and I can't imagine some of the heavily laden container ships getting into very rough seas. Yeah, seriously. And I've heard that some of the containers have been lost at sea in the past. Yeah, it does happen every now and then. There was some, uh, like a load of like little um, rubber ducky kind of things <laughs> showing up all over the world for a while, and they actually used them to map currents because they knew where the ship went down. <sighs> so in LA, you switched to a new cabin. What uh, what cabin type did you guys select there? Uh, we ended up uh, we had booked a balcony, and mm-hmm. we we got an upgrade to a slightly better balcony, but. We were uh, very um, far forward um, in the ship, and uh, but we were fine. You know, it's like we've we've cruised enough that we have preparation made in case of seasickness, but we didn't we didn't use anything. Uh-huh. Well, I mean, mm-hmm. in a somewhat smaller ship, I guess, uh, especially when you're out in the open ocean so much uh, as you would be on a. Uh on a world cruise, it's quite a bit different than in between islands and some of these gigantic ships that uh, are a bit more stable. I mean, I think one of the last ships I went on, I barely felt any movement at all. It's so it was so huge. So you started out of LA. Where was your first? Uh, where was your first port call? Oh, Hawaii, Honolulu. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, of course, everybody has to go to Walmart. <laughs> Best place to buy souvenirs? Um, well, that and um, souvenirs and everything that you couldn't bring it for people who had to fly to meet the ship mm-hmm. or that you forgot mm-hmm. or, you know, the uh, – I, I, for one, happened to get some uh, uh, Caramax, which are a wonderful macadamia nut turtle-type. Oh. 
Oh, those are addictive, yes. Oh, yeah, they're addictive. And my husband makes a face when he sees me coming with, like, a box full of them. Yeah, I think that's the serving size, is one box. At least that's always been the serving, <laughs> serving size when I've had to open one. Yeah, yeah, serving size, one box. That's like uh, the Girl Scout Thin Mints. Exactly. It's one sleeve. One sleeve, right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So at what point did uh, did things start to um, start to go wrong in terms of uh, people worrying about the virus and having problems uh, getting the ports? Well, we were fine through New Zealand, mm-hmm. and then we were fine into Sydney, and we had booked a um, a uh, an excursion outside of Princess, and that that included going up in, and seeing the Sydney Zoo and out to see the Three Sisters, and uh, that was that was interesting. They had just recently opened the Sydney Zoo, and some of us were initially disappointed because we were supposed to go to the Featherstone Wildlife Park, I guess it's called, and uh, instead we went to the Sydney Zoo, and there was a cockatoo that I was looking forward to seeing again at Featherstone. Uh-huh. But um, the Sydney Zoo was, we were there very early in the morning, and it was very clean, very well staffed, and, um, you know, it was a, a different uh, experience, and I think all things considered a better experience. Well, early in the morning is also a great time. The animals tend to be a little more active than they... Right. Well, they were had just fed or were actually feeding. And, uh, yeah, I, I was very impressed with that. And, of course, the three sisters were scenic as usual. For, for uh, our listeners, can you describe, uh, can you describe the, what the three sisters are? Well, the three sisters is a, it's a geologic feature that's created, I guess, by wind and water erosion. But it's basically three spires, um, tall vertical projections of rock that are massive, and they're all together there. And over time, they got named the Three Sisters. And uh, trip out of town to get there? Um, yeah, it was what a couple couple hours, I guess, to to get out to to there, Uh and uh, you know we uh, and they've got a funicular. Railroad and yep. uh, that's that's very very uh, uh, steep and uh, uh, we got to ride that again. That was part of the tour and uh, you know so it was. I I took some you know I mean again we'd uh, we had uh, been there before so some of them we were you know getting a, a little bit of a do over and. Uh, seeing maybe some things that we hadn't uh, seen. I think we, uh, um, well, we rode the uh, the funicular both ways, and before we had we had done the walk through the rainforest mm-hmm. down down at the bottom. And I uh, walking down might be a little bit easier than walking up. Well, no, it was fairly horizontal down at the bottom oh, on okay. a bo- on a boardwalk. Oh, okay. And, um, 
Yeah, which was very interesting, and it was a lot cooler down there. Um, and no, I didn't walk back up that mountain. <laughs> probably a good, probably a good call. Well, my husband would have, mm-hmm. you know, but but he's he's thinner and a little bit younger and much more active. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you guys left Sydney, and uh, what happened from there? Well, shortly, like almost immediately after we left Sydney. They announced, and some people were unhappy about that, they announced that we weren't going to go to, um, what were the three ports? Um, Indonesia, Thailand, and Singapore. That those were all, all canceled. And, and my husband had been invited out with one of the crew's family members, I think in Indonesia. So, and and, uh, obviously, since we didn't make port there, he didn't get to go. So he was disappointed. And a lot of people were disappointed that uh, some said that if they had known that those ports were were being canceled, that they wouldn't have gotten on. Yeah, so, you know, things happen, you know. It's like for us, it's like, well, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's, uh, at that point, it wasn't called the pandemic yet. But, but you know, there's an a infection that's going around the world. And, uh, you know, I... There were any infections on board the ship, correct? No, no. We were very fortunate, you know, and I forget what the date was when we had started to... I think we'd probably already started seeing stories on the news about the Diamond Princess. Mm-hmm. And it was in the news by, by the time we were in Sydney. And... um you know, of course, every time anybody talked about coronavirus, they talked about the Diamond Princess and had video of the Diamond Princess. Right. And it seemed like it was a princess problem, which it wasn't. But, yeah. you know, the news likes to cover bad stories. Mm-hmm. Yes. And it was interesting. And, and I did a little bit of analysis myself on uh, how many ships had it and what percentage and Really, 93% of the ships had essentially no spread, um, 85% no virus, uh, then another chunk that had only one or two cases in total, and something like only 3% of, of the ships from the major four, four major companies, only 3% had a higher than 1% infection rate, and well. A third of that was the two princess ships, and these were those were both under some some very uh, some different uh, circumstances. Well, I mean, to me, the the Diamond Princess was very early, and people didn't really know exactly what they were dealing with. It's the novel coronavirus, yeah, and 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 actually, Princess really didn't have all that much control. Over what was happening, you know, the the Japanese government was saying what was happening. I'm sure there was input from the CDC, and I mean, they didn't have a lot of testing. I mean, I would have, I mean, you had an amazing opportunity to study the virus because it happened in a closed environment, and I don't know if they ever tested every soul that was on that ship. I think they came pretty close. 
Yeah, um, but good. I mean, the big the big issue there is, you know, a lot of that contagion spread in quarantine because they didn't, you know, you had people who were their cruise ship employees. And yeah, and they were still leaving in the yeah, but nobody really explained to them exactly what they needed to do. I'm not sure anybody even knew what they really needed to do at that point. No, I, I don't think so. As they, you know, here's a thing that spread on a cruise ship. Well, yes, but it's not in the typical cruise ship situation. It's spread in the quarantine with people who were not, you know, did not understand how to do a quarantine because why should they? It wasn't their job. You know, I mean, that's yeah, a different yeah. story today. But, um, you know, a little unfair to blame the, the cruise business for... Uh, well, and and there. I don't know if I should jump ahead, but um, I will a little bit. And I, I, I feel like, you know, I mean, we have a, a uh, kind of a grouping uh, where the passengers could all come if they wanted and talk to, uh, well, the cruise... Director and the captain and the ship's doctor uh, were all there, mm-hmm. and we ended up. You know, some of the people were were really kind of getting paranoid. I, I have eczema, so I wash my hands really well. And I had a comment in that letter about my hands are worse now than they were on the ship, mm-hmm. but I I wash my hands on the ship. You know, because I can't use that hand sanitizer or my hands will be broken out and bleeding, you know, which is not good. And so somebody was getting all excited about, oh, people don't use the hand sanitizer and blah, 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 and they should do this and that. And finally, I I, I ended up having to speak up. And it was like, you know, just so you know, anybody wants to look at my hands, feel free, but... I don't use it, and here's why. And instead, I, you know, I wash my hands as we're supposed to. Yep. And I said, but hand washing is much better than the hand sanitizer, anyway. Yeah, yeah. I mean, especially when you're talking about norovirus, right? Because norovirus is not touched by the hand sanitizer. Hmm. So, (laughs) oh yeah, and uh, so anyway. One of the things I said when I was making my comments was, you got to be prepared for people starting to get real paranoid, mm-hmm. you know, in ports and in and back at home mm-hmm. about cruise ship passengers. And, you know, lo and behold, of course, they had an episode, um, God, I think it was in Sri Lanka, but in one of our upcoming ports that was canceled, but where another ship had had come ashore and the tour bus had, like, beer bottles and stones thrown at it. Um, You know, we were still proceeding toward Asia after, oh, they added some some Australian ports to, to somehow sort of make up for the Asian ports that had had to be canceled. And we actually headed for Sri Lanka. And, you know, we ended up getting permission to have a technical call, which was just to have, uh, to get refueled and resupplied. Mm-hmm. And so then we were still kind of heading toward Asia, but then we ultimately, when, uh, Mar- uh, when Princess ended up putting a pause, uh, we ended up turning around and headed back toward Fremantle. Uh-huh. 
so we had a lot of sea days there. But when we when we did our technical call at Sri Lanka, and I I I took a picture because so many ports, you know, you've got dancers or musicians or whatever all out there greeting the ship and tour buses lined up. And I mean, it looked, I took a panoramic shot and it was like, it looked apocalyptic, post-apocalyptic. It was like abandoned. It was a commercial dock instead of a passenger dock. Mm -hmm. And then later in the day and, one of my fellow passengers uh, gave me the photo. But, you know, there were some military people there, and one of them had a long gun, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and it was like, oh, that's the Sri Lankan welcoming committee. <laughs> and, and you know, the people on the ship are like, oh, yeah, as if you've got all these old people that are going to have an invasion force. And, and you honestly felt, like people on the shore, somehow, I mean, we were worried about them, mm-hmm. you know, because we knew that you couldn't possibly have COVID-19 on our ship. Right. Because, yeah, you might have some people be asymptomatic, mm-hmm. but in a, a bunch of old people, right. and let's face it, if you're on an old, a world cruise, yep. you're probably old. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and... uh you couldn't have that on a ship and with a bunch of old people and have none of the people be symptomatic. Right. You know, it's it just doesn't happen. And besides which our our opportunities to possibly get a passenger aboard, you know, because we had people get on in LA right. and we had some people get on in Sydney. And then that was basically it until we got back to Fremantle and um most of the passengers got off and uh they had to they could only get off when they were able to be bused directly to the airport to get on flights. And by at that point it was still commercial flights. And uh, so some people got off on... You decided to stay on. Pardon? Well, you know, only the people who had a medical condition where they couldn't or shouldn't fly um, were allowed to stay on, you know, and and I had such a condition. And they let our our spouses stay, too, in that case, which I thought was very nice. How many of you were (laughs) left after the folks got off in pre-mental there were what a hundred and fifteen of us, mm-hmm. and uh then a bunch of people uh left and um we ended up getting some medical crew because we ended up i think becoming like a medical transport, mm-hmm. and it required more medical people, so we had some more medical people come aboard in Fremantle, so, you know, there was a potential that, you know, that they could be infected, you know, and I I had nerves about that, but, you know, I also was saying, now, look, I would like to not have people be paranoid about our ship when we don't have the virus. And I also should not be too paranoid about another ship that reportedly does not have the virus Mm 
know, and besides which, flying back would have been its own set of risks. Sure. So sometimes you gotta, you know, choose your poison. Mm-hmm. And so, um, so, what was what was life like aboard the ship when you guys were uh, uh, heading back? Well, we uh, life on the ship was similar. It was I, I like to call it because of we had to go all the way from from Melbourne. We stopped there to refuel before we left uh, Australia, and. Um, we had to go from Melbourne all the way to Honolulu, which is a pretty long distance to go without stopping anywhere. And so they went, we went slow. We went maybe 13, 14 knots, um, you know, which is pretty slow. Cruising speed usually, you know, closer to... 2530, uh, was there a reason why they... Uh, I think usually we're going along at about, what, 20, Rich? Yeah. Uh, probably 20. But, uh, you know, because you wanted to get maximum range, we went pretty slow. And and the thing is, what I told people, I said, well, it's really not a cruise. It's like slow transportation with benefits. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Because... They still did our laundry, and they still cleaned our rooms, and they fed us, although the buffet was closed, and um, the pizzeria was closed. They still had the grill open limited hours, um, and so you could still go get a burger or chicken sandwich or whatever. All the dining, basically, other than the grill, was in the dining room. Mm-hmm. And you had, uh, like, it was open two hours for breakfast, one hour for lunch, and then, what, two and a half hours open seating for dinner. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but but we, you know, we still, there was still some entertainment. And, uh, and one of the things that was unusual was the the passengers, uh, a bunch of the people you know do crafts. Sure. And they ended up making a whole bunch of real neat gift boxes, and some of them were out of the uh, Sunday brunch menus and so forth. But they made gift boxes, one for all the crew. Oh, that's nice. And then they collected money. And uh, other things that were in the little boxes. And some of the people did uh, the origami, and they folded um, a dollar bill in each of them into a heart, oh. and they all got $50. And it's like one, one of the crew said he'd been with Princess for 45 years, and he had never seen anything like this done. But it was a gesture of appreciation you know, from from the passengers to all the crew. And uh, so that was special uh, thing that happened. I think that, you know, there was, there was a, this, these were the last people on earth, literally, that I could look at anybody on that ship, passenger or crew. And if I, if we wanted to hug each other, we could. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we weren't supposed to at a certain point, or the crew especially weren't, right. you know, that I'm sure they'd been advised not to. And 
you know, they're trying to get people into starting to observe social distancing. Mm-hmm. You know, but but we all knew that nobody there had the virus. Right. And it was like we knew that it, it was like a reprieve from the real world, you know, because we could see the news and we could um, talk to people and uh, email people and, and know what was going on. And people were saying, don't come back. <laughs> it's like we don't want to. <laughs> but I'm afraid they're going to make us get off the ship. And Were there any uh, any particular people or crew members, uh, passengers or crew members who uh, who stood out in your mind? Well, I mean, the captain, of course, was wonderful. <laughs> Andrea Spinardi, and uh, it was it was one incident was kind of funny. Was you know he was walking through the ship with a another passenger, and, and I think this was on the 16 days between. Uh, Australia and Honolulu, so not much is happening. Mm-hmm. And uh, so he's, he was talking to us, and my husband was kind of worried that we were keeping him from his assigned duties or something. So he was starting to head for the casino bar, and the captain said, what, you got some place to go? <laughs> <laughs> you know, and it was like, oh, that's too funny. So then we came and chatted some more. But uh, it's, it's the, you know, the captain, uh, we were supposed to hit our 1,000-day milestone on the segment between Sydney and Cape Town, mm-hmm. and uh, we didn't. But one of the good deals was we got to have breakfast at Sabatini's. Mm-hmm. And one of our waiters at Sabatini's, oh, he just he just loved Richard, and he would hug him. And I actually got a picture of him hugging, you know, my husband before uh, before that was no longer allowed. Uh, you know, so his name was Ninoslav. And, uh, um, you know, just so many, so many people. Um, it, you can't name them all. But those are those are two in particular. And uh, PJ was our cruise director, right? And uh, you know, I'd say that the mood got more subdued on the ship as we went along. Sure. Um, you know, it's a sobering passage in our lifetime. It is a very strange time to uh, to live in this world. No question about that. Okay. Yep. But um okay, any uh any final uh final thoughts or comments you want to share? Um No, I mean it's just, you know, it was just a point of interest was we were we were on the Caribbean Princess for the Superstorm Sandy cruise. <laughs> I feel like we're collecting you know, kind of disaster cruise badges. You know, well, so out of eighty-six to have one or two, or, uh, or a little but, odd, you know. But, you know, no, we were on that the Superstorm Sandy, and mm-hmm. uh, again, we were one of the last three ships, I guess, that still had passengers aboard. Wow. Uh, and we were probably the very last because of the time zones. Mm-hmm. 
you know, but we all got in on the same day. But because we were getting into California, I suspect we were the last ones, uh, the last passengers standing. <laughs> Did you experience so, any waves on that ship? Or? I'm sorry? Did you experience some big waves on that ship, or did you mostly manage to avoid it? No, we had some, we had some weather, you know, but, um, I didn't think it was all that bad, you know, it's like, you know, some, some nights were pretty bad trying to get around in your stateroom. Mm-hmm. You know, that could, uh, yeah, it's not the worst we ever had. Uh, my husband in the background is saying it was more consistently rough for a pretty long time uh, since we were around Australia and the Tasman Sea and all. Yeah, but you know, coming coming back across the you know, 16 days from from Melbourne to to Honolulu, you know, that wasn't bad. I mean, of course, see, you know, it it's like we were all world cruisers. Sure. You know, and it's like, so it's not as if you've, you know, some people have never cruised. If they were on that, they might, their perspective might be that it was awful. Mm-hmm. You know, but but for for the likes of us. Right. <laughs> yeah. Sounds pretty darn good. Oh, yeah. and that's right. The one other, one other uh, experience I wanted to hear about was your trip home on a Gulf Stream. Oh, my God, yes. <laughs> well, well, when we were... I think we we were still on the way to Hawaii when we read the CD that the CDC had published um, uh, this missive or edict or whatever, and basically it said that cruise ship passengers couldn't fly on commercial flights, uh-huh. and so I'm kind of like, oh. <laughs> You know, the first thing is, what does that mean to me? Because I had been, I had been looking at, uh, we, oh God, we had like five or six days where we had no internet, so that was kind of awkward, you know, for people trying to keep in contact with their uh, family and stuff. And they did give us free internet once all this kind of went down, um, because people were going to be wanting and needing, you know, to keep in contact with people ashore. But, um, of course, I'm like, well, what does that mean to me? And it's like, well, so we're not, even though my question for me was, uh, even though we have no virus on the ship, mm-hmm. and this speaks to the amount of paranoia, right. is that, so even if we're all COVID free, mm-hmm. are they going to insist that we get flown by charter flights? And I was having a discussion with somebody. I said, do you think that our government is is hidebound enough that even though the ship has no COVID on board, that they're still going to make people, you know, the cruise company have to fly them charter? Mm-hmm. And my belief is that, yes, the government is going to be that hidebound, and there will be no exceptions. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, I mean, but for me, flying charter was going to be good. And we kind of figured that they would pick a central uh, spot to drop people. 
and unfortunately they didn't pick our city. You know, but, but, uh, you know, we got to the airfield and our, our bus, it, we had to wait for a while and there was some confusion because they didn't think that the first charter flight out of Long Beach was going to leave as early as it did. And so we're like sitting on the bus and waiting. But we finally came onto the airfield and it was like they opened the luggage compartment on this one plane. And I'm like, I don't know what that is, you know, but I took a picture of its tail number and went on my smartphone, you know, to see what plane it was. And I'm like, oh, Richard, it's a Gulfstream 4. Wow. And my my old uh, friend from 50 years ago flies the Gulfstream 4. And, uh, you know, he'd talked about it a lot and about its two Rolls-Royce engines and all, you know, all this and on and on about how wonderful this heavy jet was. And so anyway, we were in, I mean, it's got gold-plated hardware, seat belts, you know, buckles and all the light uh, uh, hardware and the vents. It's all gold-plated leather seats. It was really nice. And uh, so anyway, we were in two aft-facing seats. And so we went on our takeoff roll out of Long Beach, and it's like, oh, the power was just, the thrust was enormous. And I'm like, ooh. So anyway, it's like uh, we had a very nice flight, uh, and our first stop was at Detroit, a young airport in Detroit. And um, so I was talking to the captain some, and I and he was former Air Force, and I said, just as he was about to go in the cockpit, I said, hey, how about a noise abatement takeoff? And he said, maybe next time, you know, and went in. And so then when we went rolling down the runway this time, it was like even more thrust, and I'm like, ooh. And then we took off the runway, we climbed. And it wasn't really, I guess, a full noise abatement takeoff, but it was kind of a little bit like that. Uh, again, so, explain to our listeners what a noise abatement takeoff is. Oh, that's where if you're in like a city, you know, when you when you take off, if you're flying low and gradually climbing, then you're creating a lot of noise for the houses underneath you. Sure. And a noise abatement takeoff, you scream down the runway, and then take off and climb as vertically as you can so that you take keep the noise away from all the houses that you would fly over. <laughs> so anyway, it's like I'm like just ecstatic, and I'm like, oh, this is the most fun I've had flying since I was in the Navy. <laughs> you know, so it was like I think, I think the ex-Air Force pilot gave the old Navy flight surgeon a little thrill. Wow. <laughs> So yeah, we we get, we flew into New Haven, mm-hmm. and they had they had to have per CDC. Mm-hmm. You know, we couldn't just be on any kind of commercial transportation, and uh, they had a uh, uh, SUV, you know, limo service there to take us from New Haven to our directly to our home, mm-hmm. and so they they. 
Oh, the people in that got off, two couples got off in Honolulu that lived in Hawaii, mm-hmm. and they got taken to, you know, their car service. They had police escorts to their home. <laughs> you know, now, we did not have a police escort, but we were taken directly to our home. And so it was uh it was quite an adventure and wow. uh um you know again we're still healthy and uh, the friends that we've kept in touch with are still healthy um you know and and we hope right now we're still we're booked on cruises for next year but um you know we're in a at risk age group and um i would hope that somehow they manage to get a vaccine that's effective and in sufficient quantity that you know we can get vaccinated and cruise again and you know there's always a risk that we don't do our self isolation well enough or something and that we get sick and survive it and then we'd cruise it's like, oh well, might as well go cruising. There you go. You know, it's it's part of our lifestyle, mm-hmm. and and uh, you know, you you meet people, and I don't think isolation psych- psychologically is is good for people. No, it's crazy. you know, and I think we're starting to see that out out in the world. But you know, a lot of a lot of the senior citizens. You know, this this is a lifestyle. The people on the ships are like our family, and we run into the same people over and over again if you cruise a lot. Uh-huh. And, uh, you know, you develop relationships with the, the passengers and crew members. Uh-huh. Yeah, so uh, we we miss cruising already. Yep. And, well, uh, let's, uh, let's all hope that we can uh, be back sailing again soon. Uh, my guest today has been uh, has been Dr. Donna White, who has done a, a great job of sharing with us her uh, adventure. Probably uh, going to be unique uh, in the cruising world for many many years. And hopefully, I thank you. Okay, and thank uh, you. hopefully, we can have you back on again uh, after your next sailing.